right, welcome back to For Real, a podcast about documentaries. I'm Matt. I'm Special K. Tonight we're going to bring you a story about Herman Webster Mudgett. Herman not- Webster Mudgett. Everybody's aware of who, of who Herman Munster? What? Herman Webster Mudgett. Yeah, okay. Yes. Everybody knows who he is. We don't have to explain who he is. I guess the documentary kind of throws it out there if you haven't heard of the guy before, right? Yeah. So uh, that's going to be another name he goes by is H.H. Holmes. Mm-hmm. It's America's first serial killer. I'm guessing he's not the first. Just probably the first one to get caught. So, okay. How you been doing, buddy? Uh, doing all right. Doing all right. Just, uh, you know, this, this is a good documentary to help you feel like you're in the season, the spooky season, trying to contribute to everybody's uh, spooky spookiness. So, uh, yeah, man, just looking forward to looking forward to Halloween. It's my next cheat day. I'm going to mm-hmm. go, I'm going to go ham. I'm going to go, I'm going to go all out. On some That's dangerous. Buffalo yeah. wall wings. Oh, I was thinking you're going to go sugar. I'm no. picturing you, I'm picturing you, you getting a bucket load of candy and eating it all. And immediately having to go to the hospital because you just OD'd on sugar. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, listen, I'm uh, I'm sure I'll have a few. I'll probably snag a few uh, candy bars or whatnot, a couple peanut butter cups or something from the trick or treat yes. bowl. But uh, no, nah, man, I'm I'm gonna go. I'm looking forward to it. Got some buffalo wild wings. That's, that's gonna be my cheat day. Look, looking forward to it. I actually uh, went to which. It's probably gonna help people pinpoint our location if anybody's actually curious because I don't think it exists outside of no, the state. Only, it's only three locations in the entire world. Oh shit. Well, we can take that out then. <laughs> I also had did you really? Yeah, I had a salad and veggie burger. Oh, gross. I had a bacon cheeseburger. It was for my kids, uh it's like a fundraiser for her school. Hmm. Where for like an, a two, two or three hours, like 10% of it goes towards my kid's school. So we went there. My stomach hates every decision I've ever made right now because <laughs> I'm old and uh, I cannot deal with that sort of shenanigans without repercussions. I also had a milkshake, which is a good idea when you're lactose intolerant. So that, that probably didn't help either. Yeah, I was going to say last episode, we established that you do suffer from uh, lactose intolerance. Got that lactate on hand? You got some Pepto Bismol handy, or what's uh, what's your go to, bro? I, I uh, first of all, I can't drink Pepto Bismol. Okay, I had it one time when I was sick. First of all, I've never liked the taste; mm-hmm. like it's always made me sick to my stomach. But one time I had it when I was like really feeling sick, and I just threw up all over the place. Just Pepto Bismol everywhere. It was terrible. Mm. So I can't even look at it now. But uh, yeah, I ran out of lactate a while back. And uh, because I'm an idiot, I haven't restocked my stores. So, yeah, I've just been, uh, you know, sweating on the couch, cramping up, just feeling horrible. Mm-hmm. Because that's what men do. Uh, stupid, stupid things. Uh, I can't, I don't know, I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, I got myself a non-cat ears headphones. Yeah, I was going to say, you have uh, like a traditional looking pair of headphones this week. Yeah, so... After last week, you know, I, I I went on Amazon, I Googled different different name brands and what was the best versus the cost. Mm-hmm. And after I did all that, I, I didn't order any uh, because that's just the way I do things. And then our buddy Scar from the uh, Batman episode contacted me and said, hey, do you still need a headset? I, I got an extra pair and, you know, I'll get to you for 20 bucks. And I was like, yeah, man, that'd be great. Uh, so he decided he's just going to drop it off. I said, just drop it off my house. I'll PayPal you the money. I'm at work. Can't do it. He's like, okay, cool, cool, cool. So I, I, just, I described my house to him. And he sends me a picture of the, the headphones sitting inside my front porch. Because I told him to put it inside because it wouldn't fit in the mailbox. And if he left it out front, God knows what would happen to it. Mm-hmm. So he sends me this picture. And I, and I text him back in all caps. That's not my front porch. And uh, he freaked out. I'm like, I'm just messing with you. I'm just messing with you. That's that's my fr- thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. He's like, I had a brand new baby. You can't do that to me. <laughs> yeah, congrats, congrats. By the way, to our buddy Scar on the new rug rat. Yep, got uh, 
just just popping out babies left and right. So you're <laughs> you're next. I'm already I'm already set up. So you gotta you gotta pop one of those out sooner or later. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, anyway, you have anything for us for the correction section this week? Oh yeah, I'm sure I messed up some stuff uh, about the body decomp and uh, hypothermia. I was uh, well, I was making up a lot of knowledge that I wasn't entirely sure of. I do that from time to time. That's why it's best our listeners listen closely and Google whatever I say, because I'm a liar. Uh, it's <laughs> what I do. Sometimes I'm not even aware I'm doing it, but uh, yeah, things just slip out sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got, uh, I got nothing for the uh, correction section, but for our docs in the news segment, I do have two things. I just want to touch base on real quick. HBO, HBO max, I guess I should say uh, making some news making some waves in the news rather. They have two documentaries that are being released. One actually, I believe, released today. And the other one uh, releases on October 20th. The first one that releases today is called What Happened, Brittany Murphy. And it's about the actress Brittany Murphy, and I guess her death, her untimely death in 2009. And it's getting, I think there was an article, a couple articles written about this now, where people are kind of dragging it ahead of time here because apparently it is the filmmakers make some pretty, pretty distasteful decisions with some Mm -hmm. of the flow and some of the content, you know, it is a very tragic and sensitive topic, uh, I guess, surrounding her death and some of the, the circumstances surrounding it. And I guess they just make some weird choices in the documentary that people are saying are very insensitive. Um, So it might be one we might want to check out. If we don't check it out, definitely I recommend some you know, listeners to check it out if you're interested. And then additionally, and we knew these were coming, I'm kind of surprised that it took, well, in a way I'm surprised it took this long. In a way I'm surprised that these didn't come out sooner, but they have announced uh, an insurrection documentary that's coming out. It's called Four Hours at the Capitol. And uh, the trailer just released. It's this one is going to premiere though on October 20th on HBO Max. And it includes some never before seen footage of the attack on the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. So, like we said, we knew this was going to happen. We knew these were coming out. I'm sure there's going to be, this is just one of many, but I, I'll probably check this one out just because I want to see how, uh, how it goes. I was just going to say, do we want to drive the wedge even further between us and possible Republican listeners by? By doing an episode on this, or are we just going to watch it and silently judge them? Well, listen, I don't. I guess it depends on the stance that this documentary takes, right? Because if you ask, if you ask one side, they'd say, "Oh, it was Trump supporters trying to overthrow the government or trying to interfere with Congress's, um, you know, business in ratifying the election." If you ask the, the Republican side of it, you know, I guess you should say the Republican side. Yes, Trump supporters. They'll say nothing happened. It wasn't bad. They were welcomed in. They didn't break laws. These people are patriots. In fact, they'll say that the ones that were causing problems were Antifa, where there were plants to make the Trump supporters look bad. They weren't true Trump supporters. I mean, listen, it's all over the place. So I'm interested to see if the documentary takes it like, look, this is just a play-by-play. This happened at this time. Here's what happened next. Here's what happened next. Or is it going to be like, what does this say about our bigger democracy in the state of current, you know, American politics. And that kind of, I mean, I, I guess we'll have to watch it and see, but yeah, I just want to point out HBO max is, is, is throwing them out here. So we'll probably end up watching that one. I don't know if we'll cover it or not, but I'll probably end up checking that one out. Yeah. So anyway, that's all I got. That's all I got for Docs the news. All right. So let's go ahead and, and uh, get into this documentary. This is called H H Holmes. America's first serial killer. Uh, it's kind of an older one. It came out in 2004, directed by John Borowski. Now, this isn't like, obviously, this is an old, old case. So there wasn't a lot of, there was no video. There wasn't actresses or actors. It was just kind of, they talked about it and they did some, some artwork, some light drawings of characters which I think every person that they drew in this looked like a dead-eyed monster. 
especially the children. Dear God, it was like a horror movie. So anyway, getting into this, Gilmington, New Hampshire, Herman Webster Mudgett was born. To, uh, he was born to a very religious mother and an abusive father. Uh, they say he was excellent in school, uh, but he had some social issues, especially with the other boys his age. Apparently, at one point, they the, these boys took him and forced him into a room with a skeleton, which they forced him to go face to face with, which terrified him at the time. But he said helped him out in his medical career later, which as soon as you feel figure out what his career later entailed, you're gonna realize maybe maybe it wasn't as helpful as he thought it was at the time. Well. To me, the documentary almost makes it seem like this is the incident that led him to kind of go down that path. I mean, I, I, I don't really buy that. That's just the way it kind of came across to me was that this guy was bullied. And because these kids forced him into a medical office to look at a skeleton. And back then, I guess these were like actual human skeletons. I don't know if yeah, they still this, are. This, this wasn't one of the plastic in store ones. This was like a, a human being that they put wires through his bones yeah i mean it was for like a medical again it was a medical office so it was for yeah. you know medical purposes but yeah I don't know, the documentary makes it sound like that this is like the impetus to his down his his downward spiral nah, i don't know if i i don't know if i buy that but anyway uh, i i don't either but i can assure you that it did not help i mean it didn't make things better for him so in 1882 he joins medical school now what they keep the people in the documentary keep kind of focusing on is the fact that most serial killers don't do well in school and they certainly don't go to medical school and complete an education there. Most of them, he said, uh, he said they lack discipline and they just don't have the ability to sit through structures like that and, and be okay. So he graduated from, from college in two years after college, he had a variety of jobs. There's a ton of them. It's not worth listing them all off. He didn't use his medical degree in any of them at the time, but it was around this time he changed his name to Henry Howard Holmes. Uh, he did that to avoid a variety of shenanigans that he'd been getting himself into. It seems like good old Herman here had gone through, has had a variety of issues with the law his entire life mm -hmm. uh, from start to finish. He was always breaking some rule or some law or somebody's neck. Um, he moved to Chicago. Mm -hmm. and he gets a job at a drugstore. All right. Now, shortly thereafter, the owner dies of natural causes is mm -hmm. what they, what they say, mm -hmm. which I don't know if it's any different back then, but nowadays, if you die from natural causes, most of the time they're, or what looks like natural causes, most of the time they're not going to really, without reason, do an autopsy. So after this owner dies of natural causes, uh, strangely enough, his wife disappears mm -hmm. and uh, good old H.H. Holmes is now in charge of a business. Yeah, it's she goes missing shortly after she sold the business to Holmes. Like yeah. She sells it to him and then all of a sudden she disappears. Which, you know, between the death and the disappearance, I don't think either one of those are particularly suspicious considering some of his uh, after school activities. So they're on 19, or I'm sorry, around 1888, Holmes buys this lot across the street mm -hmm. and he has this structure built that people in the area refer to as the castle. So he was the architect, which is another crazy thing. This guy was, H.H. Holmes was good at a, like a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Apparently he was highly intelligent. At no point do they dispute that he's highly intelligent. So what he did when he, he was constructing this is he had a lot of turnover with his job. He'd hire people to start a room and then he'd fire them and have somebody come in and finish it or do something different. Basically he had a lot of turnover done so that nobody knew exactly what was going on with the building mm -hmm. except for him. So after it was completed, they opened up uh, the way it was a three story building. The bottom floor had a couple of different businesses in it. None of, none of which were suspicious, all of which were above board, it seems like. There's a drugstore, there's a jewelry store, there's a couple other businesses kind of moved in and out. The third floor had rented rooms and offices for people, mm -hmm. also seemed above board. The reason I skipped the second floor was because that's where all the fun happened, apparently. Uh, second floor had 35 rooms for rent, you know, like a, like a hotel. 
Uh, a lot of these had secret killing chambers installed in them. He could fill them up with gas, uh, with steam. Apparently, they had stairs that led to nowhere. You'd open up doors, and it would just be like a brick wall behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they said it was like a labyrinth or like a maze is how they... Yeah. Yeah, so clearly built by a well-adjusted human being. I can't imagine... You know, I feel like nowadays Yelp would shut that shit down real quick. There's no way. <laughs> well, I don't yeah. think he actually rented the rooms on the second floor. I think that was just uh, those were his, like you said, those were his his fun rooms. And I, I, they also point out the fact that he also had like these secret doors that led to this um, greased chute. Yeah, that would um, that's how he would dispose of bodies down to the basement. Oh, and you know what I was thinking when they talked about this. So they've the, they got this greased chute that leads from the second floor all the way to the basement, right? Mm-hmm. How did he grease that? Did he just pour a ton of grease down there? Like, yeah, did he slide down himself covered in <laughs> grease and just touch all the walls on the way down? No, I'd I mean, imagine he probably just poured something down him. I mean, I don't know what, I don't know what he used for grease. I mean, listen, because in the basement, I mean, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but in the basement, he had like acid vats and there was like an oven down there, which he'd use to cremate bodies. I gotta imagine this place stunk like like high high heaven. I don't know what. Well, it said he had eight. quick lie, and and lie apparently supposedly absorbs smells. Yeah, but and, you know how 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 well can you absorb the smell of cremation? Uh, I've been a couple, I've been in a crematorium while it was working, and uh, let me tell you, there's definitely an odor involved. Yeah, and especially in the 1880s. I mean, I'm it, sure. I don't know how. What, how how good the Englewood neighborhood in Chicago smelled in the late 1800s, um, but I imagine the smell of burning body would still, uh, you know, attract come, some attention. Would still come across, yeah, yeah. But I mean, unless you know exactly what a burning body smells like, I, I like I said, I've been in a couple of crematoriums and they were vented, but when you're walking up, you can smell that it's on, but you can't really identify what the smell is. It doesn't smell good or bad. It's just an odd well, that's, odor. that's today that's modern i'm sure modern that's they have fair. ventilation systems and filtration systems this guy had a glorified i think he the cover was it was like a glass blowing furnace he had in his basement but um, like i like i said i mean you could tell people that you burnt a steak or something like that burnt a steak <laughs> i don't know <laughs> now you burn a fuck ton of steaks over in that place yeah yeah this guy's a this guy's an amateur chef and he's just trying out steaks so, so this basement where he was dropping people and cremating them and putting them in quick lie and, uh, oh, I forgot the acid baths, the acid baths, which who doesn't have a vat of acid hidden somewhere in their house? It read like a supervillain from a comic book had built this house. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I specifically remember a, a, a 1950s Superman live action thing where superman got dropped or clark kent got dropped in this vat of acid and superman punched through the wall and that's all i could think of when they're describing this was isn't, just isn't superman that wouldn't hurt even that wouldn't even hurt superman. well yeah but he was in a secret identity when they dropped him in the in the acid so after they left he punched his way out which i was like why, why didn't he just climb over the side but uh it made for good television all right i'll show it to you sometime it's the best superman you'll ever watch yes. anyway so because he believed in recycling, H.H. Holmes would clean the bodies and prepare their bones and then sell the skeletons to universities and colleges. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, he was an entrepreneur. There's no doubt about it. The guy was a he was an man. entrepreneur. They said he was getting like 200 bucks a body back then, which I don't know what $200 in 1880 looks like, but I'm be guessing uh, it'd be about $5,300. $5,300 today. That's not bad. It's not bad at all. I don't know if it's worth copping a, a murder charge, but it's not bad. Mm-hmm. So, so in 1889, Benjamin Peitzel and his family arrived to stay, stay at the hotel uh, or to uh, arrived in Chicago. Uh, Benjamin responded to a, a want ad put in the paper by H.H. Holmes. Benjamin uh, apparently was also not a great guy. Uh, he was an alcoholic. He also had some, some legal issues. 
And they kind of hinted at the fact that Peitzel might've been aware of what Holmes was doing mm-hmm. as far as murdering people and might've had a hand in disposing of bodies and everything else. So real, real family man. Uh, and, and during this time, speaking of being a family man, apparently Holmes spent a ton of time with Peitzel and his, his wife and his kids. Mm-hmm. You know, his un- uncle, uncle H.H. Holmes with his, his creepy mustache and dead eyes. Uh, so four years later, it's 1893. The World Fair happens in Chicago. People are coming from all over the world, just in droves to see this fair. Now, as we suggested, Holmes was an entrepreneur and he rented a ton of rooms to visitors. And I'm just going to say this, not, and you know, you got people, nobody, it's not like everybody had cell phones back then. So you'd say, oh, I'm going to go rent a hotel room and I'll see you tomorrow at this time. And they would just never come back and nobody knew where to find these people. So he rented a bunch of rooms to visitors and they theorized that Holmes gasped or gassed, I'm sorry, and asphyxiated some of the tenants that stayed there over the time. Mm-hmm. Now, spoiler alert, at the end of this, they suggested that Holmes definitely killed at least nine people during in his life, but it suggested that, that his numbers were a great deal higher than that. Mm-hmm. So after the, the World Fair, and I guess during the World Fair, Holmes apparently, on top of being an entrepreneur, a murderer, and a goddamn lunatic was also apparently quite the ladies' man. I'm guessing it was the bowler hat and the mustache mm-hmm. because it did it for me. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to spend the night with him or be alone with him, but I'm just saying the bowler hat really, really worked for me. So he was married to a bunch of different women mm-hmm. at the same time. Like you just had little secret, secret wives all over the place, which I don't, I guess it'd be a lot easier without, you know, social media and, cell phones and everything else going on. But uh, yeah. So, you know, I also, I was thinking at this point, when does this guy sleep? All right. He's, he's got, he's got businesses he's running. He's murdering people. He's got multiple wives. He's also dismembering and selling skeletons to people. Where's this, where, where's the Holmes time? All right. Well, when does he that, get this? I think that killing people and dismembering them, that was Holmes time. That, that was the Holmes time. I think that was the relaxation time. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, uh, I guess I just, I feel like, well, you know, I, I, I like to picture him like just sitting down and reading a newspaper one night, just, just having a cup of, you know, a glass of whiskey, just relaxing. But uh, I think that, like you said, I, I don't think that was so relaxing for him. It seems like mm-hmm. he was more into the uh, violent and disgusting murders. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> while during this time, when Holmes had multiple wives, apparently he got an, an employee pregnant and he told this employee, Hey, I'm going to marry you, but you have to get an abortion first mm-hmm. because it's 1893. And obviously, you know, they can't, you can't be pregnant when you're getting married because you, nobody was at this point, nobody's willing to admit they like having sex. So she agrees to the abortion. And since he went to medical school, he agrees to do it. Well, he killed her and the baby, which is not how that's supposed to work. Well, her and her first kid, because she also had a kid, too, that was... Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah. Well, they said they... Oh, I, th- I thought they were yeah, talking she about went, the baby. They said after the abortion, she, she and the kid went missing. The first kid went missing. Jesus. So he was obviously equal opportunity as yep. far as as far as murdering people. Didn't have any problems with children, women, men, whatever. He just... No preference. Oh, also, he had uh, several secretaries. So he has one where he sent her into his vaults. He had a vault installed in his building. He actually built the room around the vault. And this was an issue with the with the bank that he had bought it from because Holmes had this really bad tendency of buying things and then never paying for them. Mm-hmm. So the bank said, okay, well, we're going to come back and get our vault. But he built the rooms around the vault. So they got there, realized it was hooked into the wall. And he said, if you damage my hotel in any way, I'm, I'm going to sue you guys. And they just kind of left it there, which was a bad idea because later on, I guess his secretary must have been annoying the shit out of him because he sent her into the vault to get some paperwork. And then he locked her in the vault and left her there until she died. Mm-hmm. And apparently that happened more than once. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So you say he he married multiple women. He does marry this woman, and I believe her name is Georgiana. It's the only one he didn't kill. She must have been one tough broad, man. Like, I don't know. What do you think it was about her that made him not want to kill her? I'm guessing it was the tits. <laughs> no, I, I I don't know. I you know, maybe, maybe she was just <laughs> maybe she trusted him less. Maybe, maybe she was a little bit quicker on her feet. Maybe when he asked her to go get things out of the vault, she told him to fuck off. I don't know. But <laughs> uh so, for some reason, Georgina. Uh, she lasted quite a bit longer than anybody else that had any sort of relationship with Holmes. Uh So Peitzel, old Benjamin Peitzel, uh, was becoming more of an issue, more and more of an issue because of his relationship with alcohol, which, as I said before, he's an alcoholic, sad disease. But unfortunately, in this case, Peitzel was also an asshole. So uh, we're not going to dwell too much on his sickness. So... Peitzel and Holmes concocted this harebrained scam, which I can't believe Peitzel went along with this. He had to have been drunk when he agreed to this. But they came up with this plan where Peitzel was going to take out a huge insurance policy and uh, sign it over to his wife and Holmes. And they were going to fake Peitzel's death. Mm -hmm. Now, if you know that Holmes has been just casually murdering people, that have in no way wronged him, just people in his general vicinity tend to wind up dead. Why would you sign up for this? Well, I don't know why he would, but I'm going to talk about this at the end, but there's some things in this documentary that they could have done a better job explaining, but I think yeah. this essentially what this documentary fails to point out is that Holmes initially had this plan himself, but he was going to fake his own death. Or oh. fake, fake an alias death. And then because that didn't go the way he wanted to, he recruited uh, Peitzel into this plan. See, um, I didn't know that. Yes, yeah, so the documentary leaves that out. And there's, the, we'll, we'll talk about that at the end. But The documentary kind of played like a wiki page with artwork to mm-hmm. me. It didn't, didn't really trip my trigger a lot. So they make this plan to, to fake Peitzel's death. But then in 1893, Holmes and Peitzel both had to flee from Chicago because law enforcement was after them for fraud and other shenanigans that Holmes seemed to be doing his entire life. (laughs) Then in 1894, Holmes tries to swindle another drugstore owner. And I guess this guy's radar was a little bit higher up than the last drugstore owner that Holmes had been around, you know, when he died of natural causes. Wink, wink. Because when he tried to swindle the drugstore owner, he wound up, he wound up in jail. Mm-hmm. Uh, in St. Louis. In St. Louis, yes. While he was in jail, he spoke very casually to another inmate whose name I didn't quite catch. Did you catch his name? Uh, last name was Hedgepath. Hedgepath. I don't know out- how I forgot he was that. Outlaw. Anyway, so he's talking to Hedge- Hedgepaw? Hedgepath. Hedgepath. And uh, he <laughs> tells him about this plan to have an insurance scam. So Hedgepath hooks Holmes up with a lawyer to help him get out of these charges that he's facing. And in return, Holmes says, okay, can we complete this insurance fraud? I'm going I'm to send you $500. Holmes was then bailed out by, by his newest bride. Was that, was that Georgina? Yep. Yep. So, okay. So that my, my newest theory is that Holmes was too busy running from law enforcement to really settle down and, and murder this and, his wife. Murder the wife. Yeah. I think that, I think that he just needed somebody that was willing to bail him out of jail and she just fit the bill and, and the boobs, obviously. Um, so they go to Pennsylvania. Peitzel changes his name to Perry. So Holmes convinces Peitzel that he's going to get a body that matches uh, Peitzel's uh, enough that they can just, you know, that they can claim it was him. Well, that didn't happen. Holmes murdered Peitzel. He uh, apparently tied him up. Oh, he chloroformed him. Then he tied him up and then he lit him on fire. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as he's dead, Holmes, you know, cut the ties off his wrists and ankles. But uh, yeah, that was, that. I mean, that was his plan. I don't know why he's still, I guess, 
he was a sick bastard. I was just going to say, I don't know why he still destroyed his face, even though it was actually him. I think it would have been easier to identify him if he hadn't lit him on fire. But, uh, yeah, I don't you know, have no idea. I, I'm, I'm not a serial killer. I never, never claimed to be that definitely not a serial killer. <laughs> um, so, but Holmes covered it up by faking an accidental explosion. An autopsy was conducted, which I feel like at this point, I, I was shocked when they said they conducted an autopsy in 1894. Mm-hmm. I, I thought I figured at that point, their idea of an autopsy was taking a, taking a saw and just slicing them open like a hog and, and kind of rooting around in there for a stab or gunshot wounds. But apparently they actually found chloroform inside Peitzel's stomach. So they knew that he had not died naturally. This well, obviously hadn't died naturally. It wasn't an accident is what I mean to say. Peitzel's wife s- sent her, her and Peitzel's daughter with Holmes to identify the body. And she was never seen again. They went and identify the body. Daughter immediately disappears. Holmes tells the wife uh, that he sent her away uh, because of law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And then he convinces her to let her other two kids come with him. Oh, I'm sorry. To hide them with her husband. She didn't know he was dead. Mm -hmm. She thought this was all part of the plan. So Holmes disappears her daughter and says, let me take the other two kids. I'm going to reunite with her father and then we'll get in touch with you. Blah, blah, blah. We'll all meet up. It'll be wonderful. So Holmes goes on the run again. He moves the wife and the kids like all over the country. And what's crazy is while he's doing this several times, they were staying within several blocks of each other. Yeah. I think one time in Detroit, yeah, they're only a couple blocks away from each other. Yeah. So they were all relatively close this whole time. I, I bet, I, I bet that sick bastard got off on it. I bet, I bet anything that that was some sort of, gross sexual thing for him sexual thrill <laughs> or it was just a matter of logistics and it's easier to balance both no no both nope i i bet he choked the chicken thinking about that at some point <laughs> all right i'm just saying the guy the guy's a pervert all right well you don't know that there's nothing in anything about this talks about his sexual proclivity listen listen if you're a serial killer you're, you're a pervert that's that's just math is that fact uh, i assume i don't know i just made, I, I i told you earlier i lie i <laughs> I, uh, I mean, I, listen, if you're, if you're a serial killer, you're getting something out of it. I'm assuming sexual thrill, which makes me think you're a pervert. All right. Well, yeah, I would, I would agree with that, but I don't know that every serial killer is, does it for sexual gratification. Well, I'd argue some of them don't, I'd argue some of them don't at all. Well, I mean, I assume like serial killers that like situational serial killers, or like they have to kill people to cover up a crime or cover up something else. Probably they probably don't get a sexual thrill out of it. But what about like um, with the DC snipers? Oh, they I bet kill, they were. Dude, they kill, I, they kill people that, just to kill people. That was well, such like, a they, that was such like, a power thing. That was such a power thing. That's not a, a power isn't sexual. Doesn't necessarily mean it's sexual. It's, it's all it's all tied into the penis. All no. right. <laughs> yep. That's why that's why statistically serial killers are men. It's because it's all tied into the penis. All right. Oh my God, that is some. You are you are on some feminist bullshit right here, buddy. Listen, it's all penis. It's all penis related. All right. Okay. So they get the money and uh, good old hedge hedge thaw, hedge path, hedge path, hedgehog, whatever the fuck his name was. He never got paid by Holmes, which is not shocking because Holmes never paid anybody for anything if he could help it. Mm-hmm. So. So Hedgepath gets pissed off and he goes to the warden and he says, Hey, this was Holmes' plan the whole time. So well, they hired- what's, what's craziest to me, this is what was wild to me, is that Hedgepath is sitting in a jail in St. Louis, Missouri, and he reads an article in a newspaper about Peitzel dying. And that's yeah. how he knows. Well, but the thing, but okay, but the document doesn't explain. So Peitzel, Peitzel was going by a different name. He wasn't even going by Peitzel at the time. He was going, he was going by, by Perry. By Perry. So yeah. hot. So I guess unless they told Hedgepath what this guy's alias was going to be when he gets to Philadelphia, I, I just That's, anyway. Yeah, I, it just, I it's, it's wild to me. In eight, late 1800s, 1890s, a guy, an inmate in a jail cell in 
St. Louis, Missouri, reads an article about a random death in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I, it's just wild. Anyway, anyway. I, I feel like that was like probably one of the only times in his life H.H. Holmes was honest with anybody and he just went too far. <laughs> he I just, guess. he's like, oh yeah, my buddy uh, Peitzel, codenamed Perry, we're going to do this at this location and then I'll send you $500. Only part of the story that he was he was not honest about was paying paying him. So they hired the Pinkertons to catch to catch Holmes. Pinkertons at the time were a detective agency. Uh, they're kind of like sort of like the FBI now, Except in the sense a private company. It was like it's like dog to bounty hunter. Yeah, yeah. It's like it was a private company. I meant like the FBI in the sense that they could travel across state lines. They didn't really have a jurisdiction. Because they were a private company. Yeah. One thing is what's crazy about the Pinkertons is they were, it was a business. It was a security company. It was like, it'd be yeah. like, it'd be like if fucking Permar or um, Brinks <laughs> sent some employees after you with guns to try to fucking arrest you. That's what it would be like. <laughs> well, it was, it was a, a very effective practice. Boom, 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 ADT, open up. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to worry about, I guess you don't have to worry about things like warrants and yeah, because like just, that, you just, Go bust down doors and beat people up, and yeah, because the Constitution isn't in play. There's no you yeah. don't have a, a Fourth Amendment right when it comes to the Pinkertons. They don't give a shit. They'll search whatever they want. <laughs> well, regardless of their their probably many sins, the Pinkertons caught Holmes mm-hmm. in 1894 in Boston, which you know, good for them. So Holmes goes to jail for the murder of Peitzel. And during the trial, Holmes has the audacity to say Peitzel killed himself. Mm-hmm. So um, my thing at this point was, is, is he is like, I know he thinks he's smarter than everybody else. That's also a, a common serial killer thing is the arrogance. Mm-hmm. But is he really trying to convince people that Peitzel lit himself on fire to kill himself? I mean, that's what he's trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when the, when the, the punishment is death. When you're facing the death penalty, you're gonna say yeah. whatever you have to try to wiggle out of that shit. And th- this isn't this isn't nowadays where they give you a little shot and you go to sleep and then you know they inject you something else and you die. This is like, hey, we're gonna hang you or we're gonna put you up in front of a firing squad. I feel like the guillotine probably wasn't that far out of practice at this point in time. So he was probably pretty he's probably sweating it a little bit. At this point, Peisel's wife is also involved, and it comes to light that her three children are still missing. Mm -hmm. So this guy, detective Gaia, which I thought was a cool name. Gaia, like mother earth, you know what I'm saying? Gaia. I have have no idea what that is. Okay. Well, you can, you can look it up. So detective Gaia decides to go looking for these kids. So he spent several months and he found them all. And I mean, I'm not going to go into the details that far into details. It doesn't really matter. He, Holmes killed all three of them. Mm-hmm. The two girls were together, and the boy was in a, a separate location. Well, I think it's important. So the, the two girls are found buried in a cellar in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Yeah. The, the boy is found the remnants of Cincinnati, his body, right? Uh, no, in Indianapolis. Oh, that's in what a, it was. In a stove in a cabin in Indianapolis. Quite impressive police work for the 1890s. Dude, yeah, I thought the same thing. I was like, holy shit, this guy. Do you, you know how much footwork? I mean, it took him a couple of months, but still, for eighteen nineties, he literally traveled in, into Canada mm-hmm. and all over the United States, backtracking these letters and places they say they had been, and uh, he finds all three bodies. It's that mm-hmm. that was pretty insane to me too. I was, I, I was, I was shocked and very impressed as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he had a, a reward. For doing something like that, or if he just well, was, I think he was a he was a Philadelphia de, no, he's a Philadelphia detective. Oh, so I guess jurisdiction doesn't matter. Back he just then, didn't give a fuck because he just crossed you know into Canada and started digging around in a basement. But yeah, so yeah, he he uh, he found all three of the kids. So H. H. Holmes gets convicted of murder in the first degree, and they decide that on May seventh they're going to hang him. A couple of different people got to talk to Holmes before his death, reporters and everything else. They all wrote up 
all this bullshit that he said. I mean, all of them were self-serving bullshit stories like, like serial killers do. But this last one, apparently he just was kind of at the point where he didn't give a shit. And he went over all the murders he had done and uh, where they were at and what happened to him. And uh, they actually went back to his hotel and they found evidence that he had killed more people. Well, what was crazy is, so while he's incarcerated, before he's even convicted, he wrote an autobiography trying to clear his name. And so he writes his autobiography and releases it because it's a money thing. At this time, you know, says the documentary that this was like a national and international news story because Chicago police had raided his hotel. They had found all these kill chambers, the bones and the clothing. I think they said they were able to link like 50 missing people to Holmes's property. And so it was like a gigantic story. And so he knew, he knew that it was going to sell as a way to, it's a way to make money. I'll write this autobiography and someone will print it and I'll make a bunch of money. Uh, in fact, I, I'm surprised. I assume they they seized the, this building from him or something. So I'm surprised he didn't try to sell it, make money on it that way. Cause like the documentary says there were plans to turn it into like, like a museum or something some kind of attraction and this is all while he was still incarcerated before he was dead i'd hate to be the janitor that had to clean up that basement well i mean luckily for the janitor the fucking place <laughs> suspiciously burned down so yeah suspiciously um, i mean so she's a hotel take notes so this this thing <laughs> just burnt down and uh that, that was the end of it yeah and then like you said he his trial, which was which was something that's you, you see sometimes, I guess we'll, we'll talk about. Some oh, I, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, he was he uh, decided, opted to be his own lawyer. Yeah, he represents himself until the very end, in which case the lawyers come back and, and act like a goddamn lunatic the whole time. Yeah, and that's when Pete uh, Peitzel's wife was like a surprise witness, and she testified to the entire insurance scam, which essentially, you know, is what ended up hanging him pretty much. It's going back to the news stuff. The way the documentary says that he was essentially, this was the OJ Simpson trial of its time. They said they, they likened him to a national boogeyman. Except uh, <laughs> they actually got this one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Like you said, anyway, so yeah, he was convicted and sentenced to death. So on May 7th, they, you know, they put him in the gallows and they put the noose around his neck and the little black bag over his head. And his final words were saying, was him basically saying, I didn't do any of this. Yeah, he recanted. He recanted, yeah, he recanted everything. Yeah. Just, and then he dropped. And, and according to, to witness statements, they said his voice when facing death did not tremble at all because he was a lunatic. And well, also, he, he said, I mean. Oh, when, yeah. When, when he, he was in jail. He said he thought he was starting to look like the devil. He thought he was turning into the devil. Mm-hmm. He said, I believe I'm, my face is lengthening. My skin is falling away. I believe I'm beginning to look like I'm beginning to turn into the devil. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, that he was already crazy. And this whole situation being completely out of power, which is something he's not used to, was probably making him even a little bit, even, even more crazy. So he snapped and they killed him which is basically the end of the documentary. It was rumored that he wanted to be buried in cement because he was oh, afraid yeah. of somebody chopping um, up his body. We would, up his body. Well, yeah. I mean, you would hate for somebody's body to be messed with after their death or, you know, <laughs> sold to a university or something like that. Apparently some universities actually and places really wanted to do an autopsy on his brain mm-hmm. to see what went wrong, essentially. Mm-hmm. But he didn't want that, so he had his. He asked for his uh, to be encased in concrete, like ten feet of con- or he's ten feet down, encased in concrete, so nobody t- mess with his body. Yep, he's in an unmarked grave in Philadelphia. Um, and like you said, they verified they can verify he's responsible for at least nine murders. They rumor he's rumored to have killed upwards of a hundred. Speaking back to his, then um, the very end of the documentary, talk about in his confession. When he admitted to everything, which is how they, which is how like earlier on in the documentary, they talk about some of the details regarding like the, the secretary suffocating the ball. That's all based on his confession. That's all based on what he said happened, like with the first wife and the abortion. That's all things he had, he says he admitted to in that confession. Yeah. Um, he claims he was born a murderer. 
that Satan was always with him essentially since birth is what he uh, was what he claimed. I mean, that goes back to that whole nature versus nurture thing. Did that did having a alcoholic shitty parent, shitty father and an overly religious mother and then not fitting in at school and the whole skeleton thing. Is that what what made him the way he was or was he born that way? And it's, I'm like I said, I it's all nature versus nurture. It's all conjecture. Everybody always wants to argue this. I think at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter why he was the way he was. He wasn't. He was. He was a monster. But doesn't it matter though for people to determine to? Because listen, if you think that there's a environmental cause that somebody can be factored into this or made into this, doesn't it matter? Because then if there's ways to prevent that from happening in the future, I mean, look. He, so this documentary credits him as being America's first serial killer, right? And like you said, I doubt he was the first. I'm sure there were others. There's certainly others in human history. But in American history, was he the first? I, I don't know. But there's certainly been since. Certainly. Yeah. So. But, but how, would you con- how, how would you control so- society so that well? People are always going to be bullied. There's always going to be people that are dicks. And harder on other people. Well, I don't think it's about controlling society. I think it's looking for, that's why they, they have like these profilers, right? The fact they interview one of these profilers in this documentary, and he talks about certain, certain characteristics, like you said, that they typically don't finish college, don't even go to college. They certainly don't finish medical school typically because they just don't have the discipline to it or or afford or whatever. You know, there's, there's always like, you know, these red flags that you, know, you hear about that uh, I'm sure I think like a couple of years ago, Dr. Phil or somebody had it on their show where they're talking to some parent of some like unruly teenager. And Dr. Phil is telling this poor woman that like her son exhibits like nine of the top 15 red flags of being a serial killer. <laughs> so i mean that's what, buy, that's what you buy a lock for your bedroom door i mean there's like you know like and there's certain things like torturing animals or um you know being being um violent towards animals or small creatures or younger children than yourself and that's like that's typically seen as like a but to me it's like it's extreme antisocial behavior extreme violent behavior the inability to control oneself i mean there's I, there's I, certain I, indicators that somebody's going to be a fucking problem i actually read somewhere that like heavy like bedwetting into like early teens is also something that's tied into it like serial killers apparently have an issue controlling their bladder but it was like there's like a list somewhere like all these different things that mm-hmm. uh, fires another one they have a, yeah. a natural interest in fires yeah, that's, a, that's a with fires yeah yeah that's a that's a bad sign guys if your kid's playing with fire too much uh don't don't let that happen yeah so i, I would say the why matters it doesn't necessarily change anything for his victims well i think the why matters i think I, the why matters i mean like for, I, so, so like the profiler's documentary for example there's two things he, he said that i wanted to touch base on and in this conversation we're having right now let me know what you th- what how you feel about this but he says i'm paraphrasing i'm not quoting exactly but he says that essentially once these sociopaths because he determined that he believes hh H. holmes was mm-hmm. a sociopath but once these sociopaths evolve to a certain point they're beyond help like there's there is a point of no return yeah so do you do you believe that's true like do you think that some of these people are beyond rehabilitation yeah absolutely yeah i don't i don't know i don't have an opinion on I, this. I was just wondering let, to see what you think uh, about it i i to me it's 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 if you get to if somebody's violent to the point where you have to put them in jail for the rest of their life if they've killed like five or six people or are like a multiple rapist or anything like that, anything where you can't trust them to be out in society because of their issues. It's, it's Pat, it's past the point to me. So you don't think that there are certain situations where you can intervene after the fact? Sure. No, no, because nobody will ever, nobody will ever allow them to be reintegrated with society. Nobody's ever, yeah, probably right. Me, I mean, yeah, like I mean, somebody, society won't allow, wouldn't allow it. But I'm asking, do you think it's possible? You think it's possible for somebody like H. H. Holmes, like, like you know, they, they're proposing, they're, they're supposing that he had like some kind of fascination with this shit. Is it possible though that he just saw it as a way to make money because he was selling their bodies? No, I think he really, I think he liked killing people. 
I don't think it was just a money thing for him. I think he really enjoyed what he was doing. And that's what the documentary says. And that's what he said during his confession. But that's I mean, that's other than his quote unquote confession, which he was paid to give, by the way. Other than yeah. that, uh, what evidence do we have that he enjoyed it? I mean, there's no evidence. Okay, but okay. Uh, okay, the acid baths. Mm-hmm. So doesn't acid acidity eat away at bones? Uh, it's probably a way of disposing of the things he didn't want or need. Or or the cremation thing. That's okay, so you can use. Exactly. Well, exa- well, my point is, he didn't sell every skeleton of every person he ever killed, or there wouldn't have been evidence. Mm-hmm. Some of them he just he just killed, and I I listen. You don't kill you don't kill more than ten people, and just do it as a money making thing. All right, the guy owned uh, two buildings and several businesses. Mm-hmm. Money wasn't wasn't what was driving this guy. The building, by the way, I don't think we mentioned it. It's at 63rd and Wallace in Englewood in Chicago. The building no longer exists. It's actually a um, a U.S. postal post office now. They built a different building on top of the land, and it's actually a post office. If you uh, oh, that's even go, better. If you want to go check so that out? We can sponsor the next of the America's serial killers. <laughs> yeah, it's a post office now. No, I agree. I mean, listen, you don't build a uh, a. Second yeah. floor that has 35 kill chambers and grease shoots. And I, I agree. I was playing devil's advocate. I'm not trying to defend H.H. Holmes in this podcast. You guys hear, heard it here. K he's like serial killer. Goddamn serial killer. The other thing, the guy, this, this profiler says at one point, which I thought was, um, I, I guess I don't know if it's true or not, but he says that humans, you're the animal fat guy, so you might know more about this. Uh, he says that, again, I'm paraphrasing, that humans are the only animal not to listen to intuition. I mean, I can't confirm that. I feel like yeah, how 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 would he possibly how do, how would science know that? I I don't think that's something you can no. confirm. And and most of the time, I feel like animals don't operate on intuition. They see, smell, or hear something that's concerning to them, and they bounce. But I think I think what he's trying to say here is that exactly that if 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 an animal like if a if a dog, for example, if a dog senses danger, the dog's going to get the fuck out of there. It's yeah. just going to act on what uh, it's going to act on what's happening. And you can see that it's, 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 it's getting all this information on its surroundings, right? Using its senses. It's a ter- making a determination what's happening. And then it fucking gets the fuck out of there. Yeah. He's saying that humans are the only animal that can do all that. The dog's doing realize there's a problem and then override that and stay. That's how I took it. And no other animal does that. I mean, we use logic, but I also think that animals have a lot better senses than we do as well. I mean, compared to the animal kingdom, as far as smell, hearing, sight, we're pretty far down on the list. So, I mean, my, my thing would be, I think it's, it's not intuition. I just think for the most part, we were given opposable thumbs and a brain. And those were our, our, our steps up. Everything else has, has had to evolve better senses. See, I think I think it's that we're socialized not to listen to it. I think that you're socialized that it's that you're socialized to take risks and otherwise situations you wouldn't. You know what I mean? Like, I think an animal knows if it's walking through a dangerous area that it's dangerous, you probably should avoid it, right? It's not going to walk through something an area that it knows is dangerous. Humans live in those areas. Humans walk those areas all the time. They override that little thing in their brain saying, "Hey, this is a dark alley. Don't go through here," and they do it anyway. And I think it's because you're socialized into like, it's going to be okay. It's fine. I, uh, I also think people are stupid too. I mean, maybe, but like, I think if you're a smaller animal and you're further down the, the food chain, you have to be a little bit more prone to running if you want to survive. Sure. Because everything else can eat you or kill you or have their way with you, whatever they want to do. Mm-hmm. So they've, they've got to, They've got to rely more on what they see, smell, hear. And humans, we're used to being the top of the food chain. So the only thing, the only thing that hunts humans regularly is other humans. That's true. So I think it's, I don't know if it's a societal thing. I think it's more that people, you know, look at something and think, oh, I can handle myself in here or oh, I don't see anybody. It should be fine. And anyway, so what do you think of the documentary? I thought it, it read like a wiki page with artwork. Like I said earlier, as far as the rating system, I'd say two beers, but it only gets two beers because it's an hour long. 
if it was any longer, I'd be I'd be hiking up the beer number quite a bit. Yeah. So I I don't like this one that much. Like you said, it was I didn't either. It was boring. I mean, listen, it was it was definitely like a I mean, it's definitely the first historical documentary we, we've covered. So there's not like nice video to use. I mean, it's all yeah. like old timey photos and drawings and renderings and that kind of stuff. So it was a little less attention holding. It was short, but it was definitely like, just felt like a history channel. Thing. Yeah. It didn't um, do anything for me. It's uh, and I also, I also, like I said before uh, earlier, I wanted to touch base on later. There's some inaccuracies in this documentary. I, I didn't know a lot about HH Holmes before this. I, I, I knew who I knew the name. I knew he was a serial killer of Chicago he had yeah, the, the murder castle somewhere in the city, and he'd murder people there. And I, I heard all that shit. I didn't know a lot about some a lot of the scammy stuff. I didn't know all that stuff, whatever. But you know, so after watching this documentary, I was kind of interested to see. So I just kind of did a little deep dive on him. And uh, like in the documentary, they talk about that story about how he first went to Chicago and he starts working at a drugstore, and then the owner dies of natural causes, uh, and then his wife signs over or sells the store to him, and then disappears. That's all bullshit. The man and the woman both lived to the ripe old age. Nobody went missing. There's nothing suspicious at all about their deaths. They really? Sold, they sold him the pharmacy. Flat out. Straight up. There's a book about it. And the book covers it as a, that is a, as a fallacy. That, that did not happen. And I, think what this, and I think what this goes to, what this speaks to, and the documentary does touch base on it, is that he was, it was a national, international story. So, uh, uh, so just again, this is also touch base in the documentary. While he was doing his shit in Chicago, Jack, Jack the, the Ripper was, Jack going, the Ripper on, yeah. was going on in London. Okay. And that was a, a, a huge international story as well, which I'm going to record saying Jack the Ripper. I don't, I don't think it's right probably to rate serial killers, but I will say that Jack the Ripper is a grossly overrated serial killer. He I killed, th- he killed five people. There are middle schoolers in this country that have killed more than five people. All right. Jesus. So, so Jack the Ripper, Jack the Ripper is not even a top 10 serial killer. I think he just gets a lot of fame because he was one of the earliest ones. And the way he was doing it was so barbaric. I think he gets fame because the media made him famous. I think that it was it was a hell of a way. It was like the first, I think Jack the Ripper and to as the document points out, H.H. Holmes are early examples of what the media does to these fucking cases. Is they blow them up, they make these people larger than life. They, they look for any reason they can to make it more sinister, more dark, more scary. People love that shit. Horror movies are the number one box office draw in cinema. Bar none. It's not even close. It's not even fucking close. Like these huge these superhero movies, they do great numbers. Don't get me wrong. They do wonderful, yeah. huge numbers. But if you look at just in general, horror movies do so much better on average than any other genre of movie. So true crime. Look, we've seen ourselves. We've seen ourselves. True crime. Our true crime yeah. documentaries are the most popular episodes we put out. Yeah, nobody gives a shit about our normal ones. <laughs> so, I mean, people for whatever reason, people love it. And listen, I don't get me wrong. I also enjoy these kinds of stories. They, they I do too. They, they do have an entertaining aspect to them, but it's it's just a weird human thing. I, I just don't understand it. But anyway, what so, what do you what do you think about speaking of Jack the Ripper? Mm-hmm. I always this always irritates me. What do you think about people that are still trying to like re, like figure out his his identity? Well, there were people that back then that thought that H. H. Holmes was Jack the Ripper. That they yeah, they, there are people there. They did it back then during the time this was going on. They had people that went to London to try to determine if H. H. Holmes had ever been to London or wherever to determine if H. H. Holmes could have been Jack the Ripper himself. I guess how far people took it. I mean, I, I guess what does it matter now? He's long gone i mean whoever he was is whatever he's dead so that's that's the way i feel about it every like people when i hear about oh well we got new evidence or we got new research that suggests he was this guy who gives a shit yeah i mean he killed five people over a hundred years ago why why do you care why does it matter anymore it doesn't he got away with it he won well, the thing we is, lost. is, is you're never going to know definitively. And I, I, people yeah. listen, people love solving mysteries. People want to be the person that f- figures it out. Like, look, the, they just released was like a week ago or two weeks ago that that independent group, they think they figured out who the Zodiac killer was. So, and that was a mystery that plagued people for how long, you know, uh, 
now obviously law enforcement's official stance is that they're wrong, that the person they named as a serial killer and Zodiac killer is, couldn't have been him. So you have official law enforcement and you have these, you know, independent investigators now are, are at odds with who, if it really was him or not. Of course they are. So, and this guy's dead. He's been dead for two years, two or three years now. The guy who they believe was the killer. He's, he died in 2018. So, yeah, I think that's just part of human nature to want to figure mysteries out and be the person that solved it. But you're not going to figure it out. You're not going to solve it. Right. Yeah. I mean, even with H.H. Holmes, like to figure out how many people he killed. I guess you could say like the victims deserve justice. The victims deserve like their killer's name to be put out there. But then again, what does it matter to them? At this it doesn't point? matter to anybody at this point. So anyway, overall documentary, like I said, I wasn't a big fan of this one. I would need six beers. I wouldn't watch this one again. I guess this is an older one. I'm, I'm sure there are other documentaries about H.H. Holmes. You know, I don't know. I guess I, I guess I'd be willing to watch a different documentary about him, but I, would, I don't think I'd rewatch this one. Well, rate, subscribe, review. Spread this. Please share this with friends. It makes a huge yes. difference. Like sharing it makes it the world of difference. You guys have no idea. Yeah, like our socials, Facebook, Twitter, at For Real Pod. Help we do us have, grow. We do have something, a little Halloween treat for you guys that we're planning. I don't want to oversell it here because we got to make sure we can logistically pull it off. But we do have a little bit of a little treat for you guys for the Halloween. Our Halloween yep. episode. So, um, but anyway. I'm Matt. I'm Special K. And thanks for listening.